All right, welcome back to another episode of Happy Hour. My name is Weston Kirk, here with Sean Corbett once again, True West Realty Group, real estate genius in the building. And we got some good real estate topics to get into today. So just stay till the very end. We're going to be getting into FHFA announced a new timeline to quote sunset. The FICO classic credit score model might make a difference for people out there looking to, you know, get approved for a loan. We have... A VA makes a major change to America's most underutilized mortgage program. May not be super applicable to a lot of people, but it's worth noting. And um, a lot of other spicy topics. We're going to talk about China. Right? Another country, yeah. Yeah. I've heard of it. A lot of conflict going on there. We've got uh, Sam Bakeman Freed got another conviction, I guess. Another accusation going on. Went over that this morning. So, stay till the very end. It's going to be a really good episode. So, you had a video you wanted to open up with if you want to. <clears throat> yeah, it's a high level video of the way the economy looks and this guy. Um, I've been watching him for a little bit and he's got some pretty good content that he comes up with. And he has a way of kind of reviewing and analyzing um, impacts in the future, looking at history. Right. So we're talking about the Fed making adjustments to the interest rates and how does that impact um, us and what it's going to look like in the market coming forward. So I'm going to play for he and I live. You'll be able to see it on your screen after. And play it on the mic, too. This is what's coming. First, the Fed raises rates one more time in May and then pauses rates until something bigger breaks. Second, when something breaks, such as the debt bubble, people lose their jobs and unemployment goes to 5 to 10%, causing the Fed to start cutting rates, pushing us into a recession in late 2023. Third, in a recession, the Fed will turn on the money printer and the government will Okay. Yeah. So they came out, uh, John Kennedy and Jerome Powell had a banter not too long ago and they talked a lot about that. That's what Kennedy was kind of pressing them about was you're raising these interest rates. Cause they came out prior to the SVB crash saying that, you know, this, uh, they, it was prior to the 22nd cause the 22nd they raised interest rates by a quarter and Jerome Powell had said, he said, we're going to come out and we're going to raise these rates at a more rapid level than we previously had discussed. And that's, pretty much what John Kennedy was saying. He said, you're trying to put people out of jobs. You know, there's two ways we can basically combat this inflation. I think what we're at like six and a half right now, trying to get it to two. Well, that was, no, that was an example. I think from somewhere else we're, we're trying, I mean, everyone inflation's typically about 2%. That's normal. Right. And I tell you, what's kind of funny is, but it's currently we're like six and a half. Oh, yeah, for sure. Yeah. yeah the cost of goods and are continuing to go up. That's, yes. that's the point of that, right. It was like, they're trying to get it from the six and a half down to two. And those are the two major factors that are going to play into that are going to be, we got to either raise interest rates and then lay people off. Those are the two biggest, right? Yeah. Those two, two things will create a artificial recession in that sense. Right. It's created by the government. And it. I heard someone say, though, at one point that, you know, inflation is not created by the businesses. It's not created by consumers, the producers. It's only created by government. That's the only place that inflation is actually created. Whoever can print money, which is the Fed, uh, is the one that actually creates all inflation. That's That's something that we always have to kind of think about. So they're trying to control the cycle of how 
uh, recession and everything. The end goal, I think they're trying to be optimistic and they're trying to create a scenario where we have reasonable level inflation, where prices aren't just exploding and we have unemployment at a reasonable level and everything's kind of stabilized. But what John Kennedy's point is, is what they're doing is they're trying to force negative things to get a positive in the future. And the negatives are, we're going to increase inflation, uh, interest rates, we're going to cause people to lose their jobs, and we're going to create this uh, recession. And, and that's what he's trying to, you know, kind of point out. Which, like, and, and I like John Kennedy. He seems, he's he kind matter of, fact, cra- yeah. Yeah, matter of fact, but very, also very at, the, at the same time, I just, uh, I don't know, the way I was watching that, Jerome Powell, like, I feel like he knows what he's doing. And we do, those are, I don't know, there's only so many ways we can counter the way that this Biden administration has been printing money for the past three years. I think it creates more opportunities to print more money, I think is John Kennedy's argument. Mm. I think that's his argument. How so? Well, it just continues. If you if, if inflation continues to ride up, that's printing money is what creates inflation. And that's what continues to cause the cycle of the problem. And he's saying we need to stop increasing the uh, interest rate, which is what's also driving the fact that they're just continuing to print money. He thinks they're the ones that are causing that 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 you know, that, that environment. Okay. And that's the problem he has with, with what they're doing. You know, there's only so many tools they have, right? That's one tool they have. They can adjust the interest rates and the interest rates do impact and drive certain things. The problem is that we are rolling out such enormous programs, which is going to also increase inflation, uh, which is also going to create the government printing more money because we're creating programs that we can't pay for. What, what areas specifically would they be printing more money App. Like, let's say, for example, they do continue increasing inflation and then people lose their jobs as a result of that. Are we talking about stimulus checks? I mean, what are we talking sure. about? Anywhere the government spends money that doesn't have an equal opposite effect to counter the money spent. That's you have to print money. It has to come out of somewhere. But I thought the whole point of raising these rates and I, th- I thought this was all just to get people to quit spending money. So why would we I mean, like, I'm just trying to understand specifically, like on a like an elementary level, you know, what, where would this ideally be being spent or <laughs> why are they increasing rates? How's it? No, no, economy? I understand that. Like I understand why they're raising rates and why people would get laid off in order to get to a lower inflation. Like that makes sense. But what, I guess what the point you're making well, there no, is what that, I'm saying, and here's what I'm saying. They have competition. We can, t- so the reason why, so in, in effect, whenever you raise interest rates at the fed level, it generally um, slows down the economy and mm-hmm. it generally offsets inflation and it normally um, gets us away from the recession because people slow down. Everything slows down. I understand that part. That, the problem is that we're not in a normal situation. We are rolling out enormous programs that we can't pay for. So they are increasing. Such a, that's where I'm stuck. Like what programs? Um, any type of money spent with doesn't have offsetting expenses. Like you giving know? money to Ukraine? That would be a good example, right? I mean, we spend more money bailing out or trying to get involved in that conflict than we spend on our own national defense and our border. Mm. You know, that's a good example, right? But there's not, we don't have a, a bucket of Ukraine bailout money. Are there any other programs that come to mind for you, like that, that are contributing to that printing money? Um, right off bat, no, I hadn't even really thought, I hadn't really thought about it. I'm sure you, did you have some others? Maybe government getting involved, bailing out SVB Bank would be one. I, I don't know the ins and outs of specifically how that is, but um, 
Yeah. I mean, there's a lot of, to me, there's a lot of, of programs. Like I, the one thing that I'm kind of stuck on is I, I just think that we're, the, the states in general just aren't putting our money to use in a, like, in a sense, like when I'm running a business, I'm thinking about, I'm spending $300 on leads this month. I want to make 10 times that back. Like roughly, I'm not waste. I'm not out here to waste money. Sure. So when I think about, you know, we have people down at the border near El Paso on payroll, yet they're not working. Like we're not using them to protect the border. That also like, that may not be specifically printing money, but that stresses me out because it seems like wasted money. As in, if I'm spending money on an assistant that's not showing up for work, you know, not doing what I need to get done to maybe set my schedule or do the certain things that, that keeps the system rolling in general, that's, you know, concerning to me. So I think anytime you create a dependency that doesn't have any way of any exit strategy is also creating a way that the government has an unlimited obligation to continue to support whatever that is, right? Mm. I mean, it can be, um, you know, even as simple things as food stamps, there's a value add for food stamps in certain people in certain life. But those that live on it from start, from cradle to grave, that's a different problem. Right. Like we never interrupted that situation. And, and the problem is, is when you implement a program like that, you can't get rid of it because mm-hmm. now you're starving children. Yeah. Right. So that's another example of creating these things that create unlimited, you know, um, commitment to it. Right. Where they have no way, no exit. Yeah. And that's, that's kind of back to what you're saying about the Ukraine. That's what the Biden administration has came out time and time again, saying that we will continue supporting them until basically the mission's complete, but the mission has not been defined by anybody. So it's like, let's just keep throwing, you know, that's, that's, there there is no complete, right. These things could go for, you know, 10 years. I'm until, in my opinion, until the Biden run is complete, right? Because we get a a DeSantis or Trump in there, then that, then it's complete. Well, well, they'll have an exit strategy, right? And it's going to be, it has to be aggressive, right? War is not friendly. It's not good. But the reality in war is you kill more of them than they kill of you and you break their spirit. That's how you win a war. Yeah. And they're in this conflict that they, they, we, we want to just kind of like hurt them a little bit. They hurt us a little bit. We hurt them a little bit and we kind of go back and forth. It has no, it has no end Yeah. until they exhaust their resources and it, it could take years. Yeah. You know, there's not really a specific exit there. And that, that's always a concern. You want to hear a fiery tweet I posted off this morning. Oh, by the way, I'm on Twitter now. I put a, a Twitter podcast. It doesn't necessarily reflect Sean's opinions, but it definitely reflects mine. So, um, Maybe you agree, but I'm going to, here's, here's a spicy one I put off this morning. Cause I don't know if you heard about the shooting in Nashville. Oh, for sure. Yes. Yeah. I tweeted transgenders should not own guns. Agree or disagree. <laughs> so he does a fiery tweet and he wants me to respond if they should own, yes, they can, they can own guns. What? Transgender can own a gun. Really? I don't think that's a consideration. Wow. <laughs> I don't think. Are you serious? Yeah, go ahead. I tell, did not see you going yeah, there. Yeah, tell me why a trans transgender. I'll tell you exactly own. why. Okay, the the American Psychiatric Program, like professionals that look into the transgenders, identify gender dysphoria as a mental illness. They do. So if if we have the the, the hypocrisy to me is we have the entire and, and I'm I'm pro guns. I'm very pro guns. But I'm also pro deeper background checks before we let individuals purchase a gun. I don't think anyone has a problem with that. Okay. So why are we going to sit here? No, 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 but but why are we going to sit here and act like, okay, if, if this has been diagnosed as a mental illness, 
But let's turn the blind eye for this specific situation because, well, we don't want to offend anybody, but it's still a mental illness. And we have to overlook that when someone goes to purchase a gun. Is that not like hypocritical? I think it's ironic. I heard that it was a woman that did this. Yeah. Transgender woman. I didn't know it was a transgender. Yeah. Until you said that. I did not say that. I heard on the news this morning. People can be politically correct and stuff. Like it's a mental illness. Like it. It's a hundred percent a mental illness. I don't, I don't have a problem with that either. So if, if we're going to say like, let's not sell guns to mentally ill people, but, but let's just not offend people by saying this isn't a mental, like, what are we doing? <laughs> yeah, and then you have the people that are on the news sitting there like, oh, they, they, like they push these, these woke ideologies and they're sitting there saying, oh, I can't believe we're doing this again. Like we're, they say the same thing every time something like this happens. And I don't want to spend too much time on the actual event. Cause it's I already covered it. It's kind of dark, but like they, they sit here and they just say the same thing. They cover it. They bring more attention to it. And then they never identify the problem and the solution. And they think that there's this blanket problem and solution to the entire like act of, of a shooting. You know what I mean? And it's like, well, if you look at any other area, we've got to break it down case by case. Like, why did it like it's, bring it back to anything else you do? Like, why did this specific one happen? So let's look at this specific one. It was a transgender person did it. To me, that's a mental illness, gender dysphoria. There's it's. I I honestly, I hadn't thought about gender, you know, transgender being a a consideration for gun ownership. I hadn't even considered it until you you just now said it or asked about it initially. I I would think that if I do believe it is a mental illness, I think it's something that they've gone down. They've made a, a, a very difficult decision in their life and now they have a permanent problem with it. And I think it's a, it's a, it's a lifelong issue that they're going to continue to deal with. Um, there's reasons why when they get on that side of it, they have so many struggles with suicide and things like that. I do understand that. And I do understand that that would be something that would be falling into that category. I don't think we have a long list of mass shootings from transgender, you know, and I don't either, but I'm just saying like, there's another side. Like, I don't know if this is really a particular vulnerable spot that we need to reconsider. Now, if I've got someone that's got schizophrenia, then yeah, I mean, I clearly, we have an issue. We don't need to be issuing them guns. Okay, so that I guess that leads to a good point. So if we can both agree, and obviously not everyone watching this is going to agree that it's a mental illness, but if we can sit here and agree that it's a mental illness, maybe do we sit here and say, are there levels of mental illness? And at what level do you stop selling guns to that level? Well, we can't resolve that. But the answer is yes, of course. There are probably things that we, I mean, how many people are clinically diagnosed with depression? Do they have the opportunity to be able to own guns. I mean, I don't know. I mean, there's probably some varying level that allows for, you know, that to take place. I just, you know, the thing is, is I, I, the reason why I think it is a mental illness is because we can only be binary. You can either be male or female, no matter how you think, feel, or act. And I think that's, I I don't know if there's very many people in, 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 in a, in a very logical scientific world that would agree differently. They would have to like invent some type of other gender. And I've told this analogy before, if that transgender, they shot themselves and we never knew about this event and we Mm -hmm. show up, you know, a hundred years later, find that person's body. It's a male, Mm -hmm. despite how they feel, think, or act. Depending on if LinkedIn is still active, because that's one of the indicators that she used he, him pronouns on LinkedIn. But they could have said they were, I mean, there there's a fun book. I know you know the Matt, Matt Walsh. He wrote the book, um, 
I, I'm a, I'm a walrus or something like that. And it's, <laughs> I didn't know you read that. It, it's very funny. It's a kid that wanted to be a walrus. Oh, is it the children's book? Yeah, it's a children's book. <laughs> Savage. And he wanted to be a walrus and he goes to school and his mom supported him. And you can see where that's going, right? Yeah. No matter what, no matter how much you want to be a walrus, you can't be a walrus. You weren't yeah. born that way. That wasn't what you were assigned, mm-hmm. as they would say. Uh, when you were born, unfortunately, there isn't much you can do outside of that. We're born a certain way with certain characteristics, no matter what we want to think or feel or act. So I guess, okay, I'm not going to sit here and force people. John, would you like to weigh in on? <laughs> it's a little out of bounds. <laughs> Tell us about your transgender Just let thoughts. us know. Just, hey, push back anytime. <laughs> so, <laughs> okay, but like here in my side of that, and y'all are both welcome to weigh in on this, here in my, my case against that, am I outrageous to say that? Maybe to say it, I get that, but like to, to feel that way? Oh, it comes off inflammatory for sure. You know, but, but truth and things, and, and we all, the problem is that- So he called it truth. Yeah, so well, the, well <laughs> because I do believe in truth. Yeah, And when you have the ability to feel and think and act however gender, however animal, whatever you want to be, mm-hmm. then you have a sliding scale of truth that changes every day. So I have a hard time standing behind someone that has a different truth today than they did yesterday. Yeah. You know, yesterday they had a problem with transgender today. They want to be woke and excited about it, mm-hmm. you know, because they have this sliding scale of truth and it changes, you know, it's going to continue to slide until we have zero identity. We're all without gender and we have no place and we have no, I mean, it's, it's unbelievable that that's not how we were designed. We're not built that way. We weren't designed that way. Yeah. And I think, and we'll, we'll lead in, we'll transition to another topic. (laughs) We'll have a clean transition. Well, you were talking about, I'll let you do that and we'll come back. No, I guess what I was saying is, is what's mind blowing to me. And like, I've said this, I did a live stream on this yesterday. And that's just what I was talking about. I was like, let's just call it as it is. You know what I mean? Like it's, it's a mental illness. And if we're going to sit here and say, we should do more background checks on people before they purchase guns, then we should factor that as a mental illness. Now, whether you want to categorize that as like, what level do you feel that you should sell to a mentally ill person? That's on each individual to decide. But for me, I think that if like, it's a, it's a matter of, you got to have some, you got to have some plumb line for mental illness. Well, I'm saying I have mine. Yeah. And if you're, and and if we're going to talk about, like you said, if someone you're saying as an individual, we would, but I can't have a gun shop in, you know, Washington saying mental illness is not an issue for me. No, what I'm saying is, is there needs to be, there definitely needs to be regulations in place. Why there aren't more, I don't understand, but I think that that's, it's, you know, we live in a democracy. It should be voted on. And then each individual's opinion will be factored in and we come to, we come to something, but like that's, someone needs to figure that out. I'm not the guy. I'm just going to bring the conversation up, but to bring it into another topic is that it's, you know, kind of, um, what's the word tippy toeing around it. Like the politically correctness aspect of it, you know, there's way bigger issue, not than the, the shooting side, but the transgender conversation. There's so much bigger issues going on in the world for anyone to get emotional or have some sort of, you know what I mean? Like pushback, like you can do what you want to do. You know, if you're going to, there shouldn't be this level of like offensiveness around it. Like the, we're probably, it's looking really like, it's looking really serious about this potential war with China. And that's what we should be focusing on. Like, it's crazy. Like, you know, so 
like, so I don't know if you saw Putin and was it President Ching? 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 I thought it was I. Xi Jinping. Xi Jinping. Xi Jinping? I don't know. Chinese president? I thought it was like XI, like Xi. No, it's Ping. Ping is, is the Chinese emperor. Anywho, they're meeting and they're, so you have to understand the bigger picture. We have, we as the US are choosing to be allies with Ukraine, you know, and then there's China and Russia who are kind of joining forces, it seems, and they're having a conversation saying that we are driving change that hasn't happened in a hundred years. What could that possibly mean? <laughs> you know? Um, so, well, your enemy drives into your enemy's arms. And I don't think we're partnering with Ukraine. We are anti-Russia. But you can call like, it what you want. We are partnering with Ukraine. Well, We've sent them over $100 billion. We, we're giving them support. We're, we're, we're giving them more of our tax dollars than we're using to fix our own economy. I, and there, there's, like, there, yeah, there's crazy elements. We're, we are partners at this point. To me, like, partnering with them would be we would go in and just go win the war. I feel like we're just offering them support to create a problem for Russia and exhaust their resources. At this level, but you have the you have uh, Zelensky, that's his name, right, in Ukraine? Yeah. You have him saying, like, demanding to his people, maybe it's a PR stunt, but he's like, the U.S. needs to be sending their, their children on foot to fight our combat with us. I don't see Biden pushing back on that. So it, right now it's a monetary support. But it, what what happens if maybe there's another four years with the Biden administration? Do we get our own people on foot over there? You know, I mean, the, the, there's we've constantly been at war for the past how many years with it, with some country? Yeah. Does it shift now? Well, he just ripped no, people. You know, like no, we've had peace. We've had stability. I wouldn't call it peace. We've had stability in the world in most of the fronts that we normally would have conflict. Right. So we don't have we didn't have a war with North Korea. We didn't have a war with Iran. We didn't have a war with Russia or China or any of these countries in the prior administration. Mm-hmm. But now when you lead from the back, which is what we're doing, there's not any leadership that's effectively staying, you know, there is a line in the sand, right? We had the sand with Obama. He said, there's the sand. We have a line in the sand mm-hmm. and they crossed over it the next day and he did nothing. <laughs> you know, there's that <laughs> passive, no, no backbone, you know, yeah. leadership again, we don't want the U.S. to be number one about anything. We're going to lead from behind. That is a failure of policy. You know, it goes back like we learned back in school when we were in school. We talked about the world being um, the U.S. being the world's police powers. Right. It's, mm-hmm. it's really out there to try to neutralize a lot of the evil going on. It doesn't mean we go in and take over countries and own them. And we're not trying to take them over. but We're trying to, you know, level out some of the evil that's happening mass genocides and things like that. That's a good role, I think, for us from the humanitarian side. We have to pay for it. Unfortunately, that's another thing we talk about deficit. That's where we're spending money that we're not actually effectively creating an income. Mm -hmm. We're just spending and we're sending all this money and taking care of it. But I look at it as a way of, they used to call it containment, right? That's what we did with the Russians and communism. When Russians would try to move in, China would move in, we would have containment set up for USSR. I think the same thing is applying here and China and Russia have a common enemy. So that brings them together. Mm-hmm. All right. I mean, they both have a common enemy. That's what's creating this, this synergy and this opportunity for them to now partner in ways to offset the U S's influence yeah. and, and NATO. Yeah. It's the same thing. They're trying to offset that as well. And I mean, it's just like, it's just crazy, you know, but, I but mean, passivity will lead to further war. We're, we're not going to get out throwing a few 
tanks here and there, sending a bit a little extra money. It now puts Russia now connecting with China, which is going to prolong all of this. Yeah, and like, just to be clear, you know, like, the, I forget the numbers, but it was it, in the past 27 months, I want to say that the Biden administration had sent spent like, I want to say $7 billion or $7 trillion. I don't know the number. The, the, however, it equaled out to it took the combined like it was like over a two or over a. Mm, I don't want to get the numbers wrong. I really don't want to get them wrong. But the amount that was spent in the past twenty seven months was, it took us like twenty something years to spend. Yeah, he just spends it overnight. It's it, like it's insane. So when you say a couple extra bucks, I get what you're saying. But like we're spending a lot of money, and it's it's stressful because if our dollar collapses. Like the only, I mean, the only reason we are able to print our way out of this money is because we hold the world reserve. If that changes, we're, we're in a big issue. Let's talk about lack of leadership, right? So you have two choices really when it comes to dealing with Ukraine, either we go in and win or we let Russia take it over. That's really where we are. That's not what we're doing. We're spending unlimited resources with no end. Mm -hmm. We took the middle road of we're going to talk it out. We're going to work it out. We're going to, we're going to have a conversation. We're going to, we're going to woke it. And I I just think that if you, (laughs) if you don't bring up that like consequence of like what happens if this collapses, you know, like then people get so hung up on how they feel about these, these little kind of political ideologies in between this, that almost serves as a distraction to the bigger picture. You know, I mean, there's a big consequence to be had on the road we're going down. Before Biden is done, we are going to have a number of additional extensive conflicts because there's there's no threat from the U.S. North Korea will continue to provoke. China will probably invade the new that island country. Um, there are things that are going to happen before the end of this administration mm-hmm. because there's no threat. There's no threat of the U.S. We're going to mm-hmm. send some money and do a little bit of support. That's our that's that's what we do. That either you 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 play to win, or you allow it to happen. Mm-hmm. I mean, we get in this this democracy or, or trying to negotiate everything. And these aren't places that want to negotiate. And they're winning. They control us. And we're, and we're leading from from the behind. I think that's just a terrible philosophy. I couldn't agree more. Um, but anyways, that's just, I, that, I wanted to get into that because it's just been on my mind a lot. And, you know, I, I know that I post some some wild stuff here and there, but like there's bigger issues at hand. It's like we can't get so hung up on these little things, you know, anyways, you want to get into first citizens bank acquiring sure. We're talking Silicon about Valley. actually yeah. before we do that, um, there was one thing I covered this morning, uh, bankman freed with, uh, FTX. He allegedly bribed the Chinese officials with $40 million in cryptocurrency to, uh, what do you call it? To unfreeze his accounts from out with Alameda. So like, yeah, so basically kind of the, the result of that is right now, uh, Bankman is it, he's at his parents' house. I forget where his parents live, somewhere in California. And now they're like, well, he may need to, to come in until the trial. His trial's coming in October. Not looking good for the boy. I think he has a risk of fleeing. I mean, if it were me, I definitely would have upped it from that Corolla. You know what I mean? (laughs) (laughs) Your boy would have got that Rolls Royce. Like you got to, it was a short run. and 
I would have enjoyed it a little more than the Corolla. He almost had him though. He had him fooled. It's shocking. And he plays the, I didn't know. Yeah. <laughs> Do you believe that he was given money to uh, the conservative party? Cause he says that that well, he said he did both. I mean, he, he said, said he, he did both, yeah. but the only thing that's documented was the yeah. left. Well, and, and he's, I mean, he's lying about a lot of things. There's who knows. We don't know where he's really at. Yeah. I just find it convenient that it's not, there's no trail to anyways. Um, yeah. Let's get into so first citizen. Bank that's buying SVB. SVB. For those of you who don't know, SVB crashed Silicon Valley bank. I don't know fully why they crashed, but it was, I know it was their fault. Like it was just total, it was back to lack of leadership. Well, no, that, I'll give the high level. Yeah. Right. So it's, it's not, not that this specifically is relevant, but they, they had an extensive woke culture at their company. They mm-hmm. celebrated a lot of woke, woke excite, you know, things like, I mean, just they would, they, they would focus so much energy on the social goodness and not about actually where the money is invested at the bank. So the reason why they failed is they were given a parachute from the FDIC to allow them to invest um, in high risk options. And I think they invested heavily in crypto as one, as one example, which is where banks don't need to be. Yeah. Right. Banks are meant, and I know plenty of bankers that own banks and know them well, and I can't even get them to get in board with me on flipping houses. Like that risk is beyond them. Yeah. So a banker is meant to line up uh, savings with loans, right? And there's some type of equilibrium. And uh, we're not going to talk about fractional banking, but that's where this kind of led into some of these incredibly risky ventures. But they were investing in areas that were of high risk. And if the entire thing collapsed, they still had FDIC to protect the money of the people at the bank right? The people that are investing are, are giving them their deposits. So that's, that's where we have a problem in the system is that we've given latitude for that. So as a penalty, they bailed out all the people that invested in the bank. Now the bank f- collapsed. So that's where I, and that's where first citizen came yeah, in and bought. So that's where what's I get the confused. deal here. So first citizen now doesn't have to carry any of the negative. Well, let me, let me, uh, the benefits. let me ask before I, I, we lose this thought, like, when you say they were bailed out by the government, how does that work? How does the government bail well, them out? It's not the way it was done during um, Bush. Bush At the end of Bush's, the thing that Bush said he regrets the most is he chose to allow a bailout of all the banks at the time before he left. That was that crash, the foreclosure crisis that started collapsing all the banks. He bailed out. He did a bank bailout program to help them survive because it would have it would have probably collapsed the economy. I mean, you, you have all these banks collapse at the same time. That's a huge problem. Mm. And he regrets bailing them out because it sets a very bad precedent. If we go back to that video we watched in the beginning, it talks about this cycle and the cycle does end with the government bailing out the banks and the businesses. Mm. If we can't fail then we can't learn and it's going to continue to escalate us into a point that we can't get out of. But, that, but when you say bailout, they're printing money. So let's come back to that. So the, the answer is what they did is they took the risk. They are going to give, they have a $250,000 per depositor protection FDIC offers. And they also mentioned that they're going to um, offer to cover the additional deposits as well. And the cost of that is they're going to spread this, this interest or whatever that all the other banks pay into as their insurance policy. They're going to increase the cost of that so that everybody else absorbs 
the the losses from from this collapse. So wow. they have a bank that has takes on high risk propositions, makes tons of money, and their main focus is over there fails. celebrating all these woke ideas. You, you don't you'd have to watch the where there this. So it fails, and then the other banks pay for it. And the other banks. Pay and for let it. me guess: after the <coughs> other banks pay for it, that cost comes down to the consumer, meaning us, at some level, right? One hundred percent. How yeah. do you see that happening? Um, so FDIC is only going to cover so much and it covered what it did. They raised the interest rate on everyone else. Well, it sets a bad precedent. If nothing else, you may not pay for it directly in taxes or other things, even though we probably are. I don't know how, Yeah. but you're paying for it. And now we've set a precedent that a safe place to go put your money as a consumer, banks are going to try to squeeze out making top money because they're only going to pay you 2%, right? Mm-hmm. But they might be able to make 10% on it. And they're not supposed, that's not, yeah. that's not what a banking system is designed to do. They're supposed to earn a reasonable rate of return on safe investments. So they give out loans on companies that will pay them back. And so how do people like you, me, and John protect ourselves from, or maybe not even protect ourselves, but how do we find the gap? I mean, do we buy what they call them treasury bonds? Like, do we buy certain things to get a better rate on return? Do we keep not buy, but no, do we there's keep a terrible our- rates on return. No, what you do is you go buy houses. Mm. You know, any good realtors? I, I do. I know realtors that specialize in helping people buy mm. assets that make money five ways wow. when you own a real estate property. I think that's a better source of it. Where could you find their information? I hate the term. Yeah, I hate the term. (laughs) I hate the term diversify, right? So put some in mutual funds and mutual funds should be broken up by large cap, small cap, international. I I don't, none of that fascinates me. It doesn't cause much interest for me. You know, I think it's just, it's it's a gambling high risk proposition. Yeah, back to to serious. Okay, let's say like for people that aren't positioned to purchase a house, where could they keep the money that's going to say maybe... Six, seven percent? Is there a place? Sure. Real estate is a great option. The answer is yes, it is. And and you can earn a, easily a cap rate of five plus appreciation plus equity buy down. The the five percent is only on rent return. I mean you're making yeah. you're making also additional propositions. Plus if if everything collapsed, you could at least sell the property and get your money out. Yeah. You know, you may have lost all your appreciation and equity. But it's not like you're at zero mm-hmm. unless the house is worth zero, which is probably not very likely. Yeah. I think that's a very good safe alternative. But I like I like the diversification prospect. 250, you're covered with FDIC. Outside of that, I don't know any reason to really have a lot of liquidity in general. You know, keep enough liquidity in your bank to cover your uh, disposable money you need per month and bills. Outside of that, you should be investing it somewhere. Yeah. You know, I like long-term whole life uh, products because it allows me to be my own bank. Yeah. Right. There's a way you can actually build and make yourself your own by bank by, by investing in these particular products. They don't have taxes. Taxes are deferred and I can continue to deposit money into it. And I can also take it out at any time and use the money however I want and pay myself back whatever interest rate what I is, want. What is this again? It's just a whole life. It's a whole life insurance product. Any type of long-term. So like, like life insurance? It's life insurance. Okay. So you buy life insurance and then you attach a, um, uh, it, it's, it's an investment product to it. It's not going to earn you 15, 20%. It's not for that. It's mainly just allows me, it doesn't pay that much. It probably only earns, let's say 4% a year. It's not very much, but where it does quadruple your powers, there's no, there's ways to get around taxes on it mm. and there's ways to, um, uh, lend against it. I can buy cars with it 
and then pay myself back my, so I'm my own bank and pay myself back at the loan. Mm. You know, I can use this to go pay, pay cash for, for houses. That's one of the reasons why I'm pretty aggressive and putting a lot of money into it. Yeah. You know, and yes, I have people that offer those products that I trust that do a good job. Yeah. You know, I do. Same. We need to get, we need to get someone back on. I had Brandon Acevedo on and for whatever reason, he's, we just, he's a, he used to work at New York life and then he went off and started his own, his own thing. But for whatever reason, it was just a zoom, no edits. And it's like the best, it, it not, it's the best performing podcast I've done. It was in 2020. It's got like 8,000 views. Yeah. <laughs> I was like, Life insurance. Yeah. <laughs> like, but you know, um, it's, it's a good deal. So no, that's, that was good information. Cause I've thought about, um, some of that for life insurance and I don't fully understand it. And I don't necessarily want to go to people sometimes to talk about it because they always just want to sign you on the spot. Yes. It's sales salesy type stuff for sure. Yeah. I, I think putting some there, I think putting some in some long-term buying holds, I think is probably one of the cleanest wealth building. I don't think there's a greater way. I'll just say it this way. There's not a greater way I think to build wealth with confidence, right? I can go and, and, and win on the crypto. I can go and win on, um, I had a buddy that sold his house in Grapevine cause he joined the military and he was going to travel. He didn't want to manage anything. Mm-hmm. And he took his, all of his proceeds and put it on like Apple and Tesla, like 10 years ago. Really? So he became a millionaire doing this. Wow. And now he's over in Japan. He's a, um, he's a chaplain for the Navy. Wow. That's what he does as a job now. <laughs> and he's got four kids. And anyway, I just sold him a rental property here in, um, uh, Corinth. Never looked at it, never saw it. I bid it. I took care of everything. And then I'll, I'll have it cleaned up and I'll rent it out for him and I sleep. I mean, that's yeah. easy. But that, that's, that's an example of him now taking, he doesn't like the stock market today. And he's tired of like trying to guess and gamble on it. So he's like, well, I need to invest it back in real estate. So we bought a piece of property. Awesome. So is it a way to invest money? And yeah. now he feels, it, the peace of mind it brings for him where he has nothing here, now he owns something. Yeah. And that's building. Yeah. Safely building. Yeah. And that kind of leads to a little, um, I guess we can talk about it. I've done a couple of videos recently just talking about what you should be thinking about when buying a home, because I'm work, I work with a fair amount, I'd say mostly investors. And I had some people that are, you know, new to the investment game and they're looking at it like, you know, what's the cash on cash return on this? And I'm like, look, we're in a seven and a half interest rate market. You can't necessarily look at the, at the cash on cash or what return you're going to get for the year where we are today. I think the 2023 market, it needs to be an appreciation game because there is that inverse relationship with mortgage rates and prices. So when, when rates are up, you're going to be paying more per month for a better deal but then when rates go low, you're going to be paying above market value, but you're going to get a better term on the loan, a more affordable monthly payment, but you're buying above market value. I sure. think at the end of the day, it, what I also said was if, if you, you shouldn't be, unless it's a unique primary residence scenario, you shouldn't be looking at s- purchasing a home for under a 10 year period, maybe other than like a flip or certain like, but for most people that are going to purchase a home, I think a 10 year window is kind of where you should be along the lines of at least. Um, so even if you do pay above market value, I think it will still appreciate in that 10 year period. But I don't know. What are your thoughts on that? Uh, the best way to buy property is have a value add property. I always start with that. Yeah. Because even if you don't get the best deal, the value add proposition will offset uh, a lot of the opportunity. So normally, you know, for me, I buy, let's say 75, 80% 
is what I'm looking for. If you're on the retail market and you're sitting at 100%, it's not moving, you make a cash offer if it needs work, you want to line up somewhere around 90%, you'd be in, you'd be fine. Yeah. You know, 90% is purchase plus rehab included, right? So if the house is, you know, $200,000, we want to be in at uh 20, 180. So let's say it's 20,000 rehab. We can be in at 160, put 20 in, you're, you're 90% in. You're mm-hmm. at 180, you're 90% in. So you own it all in at 180, and then the cash flow is going to be there. 100% it'll be there. Yeah. You know? No, no I'm with you too. So just but, simple, but, simple but I'm, with, I'm with you too, but I still think that, I, I still personally don't think that people should be looking at cash flow in this market. Like, sure, it should play some level of a factor, uh, but at the end of the day, I, I that's, I'm just thinking from like a mindset perspective that we're in a market. Um, and I would agree with you. I, I think that you should still be looking at value add properties, but a lot of people um, aren't willing to put the work into it. So I just think for just the common person looking to purchase a home, I just, I, I think that you should be looking at the appreciation side of things and, and understanding that if you, you know, you can buy the rate down, you can refinance later, bite the bullet now, and you're going to get a better deal on that property and you can always, that cash on cash return is going to go up once you refinance when rates come back down. Maybe I'll, it's two I'll give years, you, maybe it's three years. Yeah, I'll give you your, your answer for people that are wanting to invest and understand if their focus is cash flow, they're, they're missing the other four ways that we make money on property, right? There's appreciation, there's equity, there's principal reduction, there's um, tax offset. So mm. any income that we can make on the property, any repairs, and things like that, you can properly work out and it can eliminate any of the taxable income on the property. Mm. So it can make money 100% tax free. And then you have whatever's left over is the cash flow. So the cash flow may not be good, but you're making money four other ways. Yeah. Yeah. No, that, that okay. That's, yeah, that's, ex- that's articulated way better than I was trying to put it. <laughs> but it is. It's five ways that you make money on rental property. Yeah. So I can go to the stock market and maybe I make seven, 8% on average. I mean, I was making 12% plus when I was really playing it, but you know, and when, and on one of rental property, we may only make 5%, but man, you're making money on all the other things. It's a long game, right? And I'm telling you the wealthiest people in the U S I'd say seven out of the top 10 are all invested in real estate. Like that's mm. where they made a lot of their work, their money. I don't make like my liquidity is, is, is been sucked dry over the last few years because of COVID, but my net worth is like quadrupled. Oh. Because I own all these properties. I'm telling you, it makes all the difference in the world. And that gives me peace of mind, even knowing that I became, you know, cash poor last year. Fortunately, the last six months have been good. We've been able to pull cash back out. But, um, and I haven't even touched any of my properties. I didn't do any HELOCs. I didn't do any cash outs. I just let them grow and build. Yeah. And now they're, you know, considerable equity in all the properties. Awesome. So that's what I recommend anyone doing that's investment. At least make it a part of your portfolio. Buy a rental property. You don't have to have 10. You know, yeah. I tell people, man, you get to about three, you're a millionaire by the time you're 50. Yeah. You know, how hard is it that to buy? And, the, and I buy, I could buy several a year. I don't need to, but I, I mean, it's not that hard to do. Yeah. Especially if you get the right guy driving the, driving the car for you. It's good. So there's a, um, we'll get into VA makes a major change to the most underutilized mortgage program. We'll probably understand relatively soon why it's underutilized, but the U S department of veterans affairs announced Wednesday that it will 
lower the VA Native American direct loan program interest rate from a 6% to a 2.5% in order to make housing loans more affordable for Native American military veterans. The program provides direct loans to Native American veterans and veterans who are married to the Native American non-veterans to help with the purchase, construction, or renovation of a home on trust land. It also allows qualifying veterans to get into the housing market with no down payments, limiting closing costs, and no monthly mortgage insurance costs. So that sounds to me pretty similar to what the VA program is already, just maybe the lower interest rate is the big thing. Yeah, the drop in the interest rate specifically for those that qualify for the Native American Direct Loan Program. And what percentage of the population do you think that is? Um, in the entire population? The U.S. I, less than half a percent. Yeah. It's less, just, than, it, less than a quarter percent. Yes. Yeah, so because, because it has to be Native American plus military. And then if I read that right, it also seems like it has to be on trust land. Does that mean like on the Native American land? Yeah. So it's pretty. So now we're at. <laughs> now we're at. Well, so, so they spent a billion dollars creating the program and they were able to give out five loans. But they gave out five loans. So who wins here? <laughs> it is a good program to be aware of if you fall into that category. So. So what if I live on the land? I'm a veteran. But I'm not Native American. I think we all got a little Native American, right? I, I do actually do. I do have some Native American. Maybe I'm like, it's very low, but I think it's there. I don't feel like everyone I talk to says that they got some Native American in them. I know. Sounds racist. <laughs> Why does everyone pull that on me, man? Jeff pulled that on me at the last one. <laughs> sound a little racist. I didn't make the program, man. <laughs> Look, it sounds... I don't know. I, um, <laughs> I'm just asking. You like the hot topics. Well, thanks for watching. <laughs> um, it does sound racist. I mean, where's, where, never mind. We're not going to go there. We're not even helping. We're not people. Go there. You know, what if, what if instead of two and a half percent, which is obnoxious, right? They're absorbing the loss in interest. What, what if they made it 4% available to all veterans? Yeah. You know, I mean, just something that, yeah, if no, they're having a sense. problem with veterans getting in and utilizing this benefit, which they are. Okay. How does that affect? I'll fair tell you why. You know why? You know why the U.S. Department of Veteran Affairs is the reason why we have no utilization of this loan is because they came out of the absolute worst time to buy a house in competition in years. Mm. You had 20 offers in every house. How many of them do you think VAs would win? Uh, I'll, give you, I'll give you a clue. Egg. I sell houses. I sell a lot of houses. I get a VA offer. I don't have a problem with the individual. I just know it's going to be the most painful loan to work through as a seller. Mm-hmm. They're going to be incredibly strict on the appraisal. They're going to make the seller pay for additional costs and expenses. They're going to want that house to be in absolute perfect condition or they'll reject it. And they cause incredible amount for the seller. I get 20 offers. I don't know if I'm looking at VA offers. You know, that's why it's the program is written so slanted that sellers won't even take it. They, the veteran program, it acts like it's coming out to be a benefit to buyers and help them, but it puts them in a position where nobody wants to work with them. Yeah. That's not right to them. That's not taking care of veterans. Mm, That's a good point. You know, I think of it as they have a, it's an indirect effect that happens because they made the program so expensive and consequential to sellers 
you know, why not have an insurance that covers the shortage in appraisal and stop penalizing the seller? So do you think it, it puts <clears throat> veterans, a lot of veterans in a position to where they're so focused on the benefits that they have that they overlook maybe getting the specific home that they may want or may be a better fit for them? It, it makes them so they're not competitive. Yeah. I'm saying, but the result of that would be that they may, they may go and think that this is the only loan that's really going to work for them or it's the only goal they're working towards. No, that, I'll tell you why. It's because it's zero down. That's 100% why people take a veteran loan. Yeah, and I'm saying like if I was- the only reason. If I was a, if I was a veteran- I, If conventional is 0%, then everyone would be kicking conventional loans. Yeah. But the 0% perk that they advertise as a benefit to veterans is the reason why they sign up and take that loan. But all of their expenses and costs almost all get thrown onto the seller side. Oh, wow. I didn't know that. And that's the reason why they're not an attractive loan for sellers. And not to mention the other things I said, they have to have this, they have a lot of conditions that they have to meet on the appraisal, including appraisal value. They have really strict uh, conditions on appraisals, not just condition, but also what they can accept as comps. They have a lot of restrictions on what they can do. Is it similar to FHA in that regard? Well, it's one step below as far as restrictions and consequences and difficulty. What, uh, what is the, what do you know the different qualifying factor? Between the two? <clears throat> I know some, you know, there's just different components. It's just one's more narrowly focused on establishing value and VA wants to make sure since they have 0% invested in it, that the property does appraise correctly. So they add additional conditions and, and criteria mm. to make it, make sure it's a little bit more accurate. Yeah. In FHA, they have a little less, you know, FHA is pretty simple. It's generally roof flooring and wood rot and some other windows. basics like foundation sometimes if it's obvious, um, windows if they open and close, some basic things like that. FHA is a little bit less restrictive and then conventional is least restrictive. Yeah, They just want to really kind of look at it. If cosmetically it falls in line and there's nothing else that's obvious glaring issues, then they'll generally give you, um, they'll, they'll give you a little bit more liberal value. Yeah. Well, to all of our Native American veteran fans out there, we got you. We got you covered. We got so, you covered. We got a loan for you. Yeah, check that out. Um, sounds like, yeah, they announced they're rolling it out. I don't know if it said when they're going to be rolling it out. Oh, here's something. That that two and a half interest rate will be available for a maximum of 24 months after it went into effect. That gives them two years to adjust. Yeah. Yeah, and then it goes up from there, escalates probably. Yeah. Oh. So, man, that was a... That was a spicy episode. What do you think? Uh, a little, little more exciting. I think yeah. so. Yeah. Um, you convinced me to get life insurance. I don't know if I convinced you about the transgenders with guns, but hopefully we made progress. We moved the needle today. So <laughs> do you have anything else you want to throw in? Um, for today's episode? No. I think we've got some stuff we'll have for next one. Yeah. I think we got some good clips today. So again, go check us out on Twitter. It's going to get rowdy over there. Um, and then obviously the Instagram page, happy hour with Weston. You got your Instagram page too. Or no, what do you want to I, promote? I do. <clears throat> my biggest thing is um, my YouTube channel. I send everyone there. It's my name, Sean Corbett, S-H-A-U-N-E, Corbett, C-O-R-B-E-T-T. And what I do on my page is give real estate tips. Uh, we talked a little bit about investors and things like that. Uh, I help obviously buyers and sellers, no problem there. I, I do a lot of training and coaching agents. And then I work with a number of investors in solving any type of real estate transactional needs. So I offer tips and stuff at my YouTube channel. Awesome. 
yeah. And if you're looking for an investment property, hit me up in the DFW area, 469-428-7086. And we will see you next week on another episode. Thanks for watching. Make sure to like, share, and subscribe. Thank you.